All right, so we're in chapter 15. I think we read through the first uh, few verses of that very poorly. Sorry about that. Last class. <laughs> That's another story. But anyway, uh, looking down uh, verse 4, we often, you know, we know this passage, I think. I hear it a lot, memorize it, different things. I think it has great application, just universal. But I, what I w- tried to do last time was look at the current application, look at the context application of this. For whatever was written in earlier times is written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So the things that he's referring to obviously apply to this situation. He's used several examples in several Old Testament passages talking about what Christ has done for us, and how that has, you know, should encourage us, that gives us the hope, and the things that he has done, which prove that his promises will, you know, he will fulfill the things in the future. But looking on, I, uh, I've never thought as much about putting these passages together, but the next verse. So we just said in verse 4, through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scripture. Go to verse 5. Now may the God who gives the perseverance and the encouragement, grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to to Christ Jesus. There's that one mind, that unity thing, which is based on Christ Jesus. And I, I just can't stress that enough. I think our unity is Christ Jesus. That's what unify, That's why we're all here tonight, because of him. There may be other differences. There may be other things that we don't all have the exact same conclusions on. But I think we all have the same conclusion on Jesus Christ. And I think Paul is really pointing that out here. Is That's the main thing. Now these people were trying to, in Rome, they were trying to make this division, right? Between the Gentiles and the Jews. They weren't getting along. One was judging the other, the other condemning the other. You know... And he's saying, look, I've shown you through this whole thing and, and all the things that were written before time can be used as well to show you that this was the plan for Jesus to be the one and it's going to bring you together because there's only one Jesus and it's for everybody. It's for Jews, it's for Gentiles. Somebody suggested I change these and put up Democrat and Republican. <laughs> Dave's like, oh no, now you've gone too far, right? No. We're still one in Jesus Christ, regardless of what those two things say. They just happen to be Jews and Gentiles that were having the issues in Rome. Comments on that? Anything you'd like to say about that? Does that resonate with you the way it does with me? It's like, that is the point, people. That is the point. Jesus Christ. Verse 6, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking at verse 7 then. Wherefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. How did Christ accept us? Accept one another. Well, I'll accept you once you see things exactly the way I do. 
I'll accept you if you become a Jew, right? Which is what they were originally thinking. I'll accept you once you get all your problems straightened out. I'll accept you once you're perfect. So how did Christ accept us? It wasn't with those stipulations, was it? He even goes on, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to, to confirm the promises given to the fathers, the Jews, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for, the, for his mercy. Going back to this whole complex plan of using the, uh, using the Jews and their, and their rejection to call in the Gentiles and then make the Jews jealous and get them to come back in. That big plan all worked out the way God wanted it to. And that was, that was, that was the plan. Go ahead. I was just going to comment on the statement that you made earlier about, you know, how did Jesus accept us? Yes. He accepted us broken. Broken? Absolutely. And and he takes us that way with certain things that we do to, to, to get there. But he by no means says, all right, I need you to figure it all out and everything perfect. And once you get it perfect, then I'll accept you. If that was the case, we wouldn't need passages that talk about growth or growing in Jesus. It would be... Here's, here's, the, here's the salvation point. You guys are down here, and as soon as you get this and this and this and this and this, ding, 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 you're saved. You're done learning because now you're at salvation level. No, he says, I'm, I'm going to accept you if you believe in me. All right, I'll take you. But, but I've still got problems. I know. I love you. I'll accept you. And... My mercy and grace will cover those things as you learn and grow. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of other Christians that are going to say, hey, maybe, maybe consider this and maybe grow in this. And maybe up, 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 we get closer to Christ and get closer to one another as we go through these things. I think that's what Paul is telling these people. Other thoughts, comments on that? So that section, he uses some more passages there again. I think that going back to that verse, things that were written, you know, uh, in earlier times, and he just uses some more of those, giving that example. Uh, here, here's some more of those things that were written before that, that show this whole point. Verse 13, he talks about, now the God of hope, which we mentioned, you know, this, back in verse 4, that we might have hope. So, let me see if I make this clear. The verse 4 talks about perseverance and the encouragement and that we might have hope. Verse 5 says the God that gives the perseverance and the encouragement. And you go to verse 13, and the God that gives the hope. So all those things repeated again, fitting together, make, make, this, make this whole... Uh, I don't know, tie this whole book, this whole letter together in this hope that we have. Uh, and God providing those things for us. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
And those, there's just so many of these that tie together. I don't make, know if I'm making sense of all of them, but back in 1417, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, which is the next thing I want to discuss. Yes, sir. I think it's important to recognize, though, that he's not addressing all of the people in the world, not even all the religious people in the world. He's addressing two different groups, Jews and Gentiles, who are New Testament Christians. Okay. So that's, that is a distinction that needs to be made. In what, in, in what area are we talking? I mean, in regard to what things? Things that you're, you're mentioning. Such as? Their, their relationship with one another right. is, is what he is trying to establish. Jews and Gentiles would, would be very different from one another. Right. Generally. Even when they become Christians, they still have different ideas. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Uh, I, I didn't know if I said something wrong or I didn't know what you were referring to exactly that I had said. So. Yes, I, I see for sure he's talking about these two groups and the differences of them. And there's still going to be some of those things, and he's fine with some of those. The Jews are still going to be Jews nationally, but they're no longer going to be enforcing or what? Pushing that you have to become a Jew. So you Gentiles don't have to become Jews in order to get to God. So, yes, sir. And also, you Gentiles don't, or you, you Jews don't have to become Gentiles. So, uh, you know, I think you could, the, a Gentile could say, well, until you start eating meat, then I'm not going to fellowship with you because you're still trying to be different than me. Okay. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, what I was going to say was, you're, you're um, pointing out, uh, accept one another as Christ accepted you. I think that's pretty profound. That's definitely something that we we can meditate on. The thing that came to mind for me is forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? He said he asked God to forgive the people that were crucified and crying for him because they didn't know what they were doing. So, you know, I I think too we have to accept each other uh, and maybe with a little bit of an attitude of they don't know what they're doing, at least from my perspective. They're, they're ignorant in that, but I'm going to accept them anyway. Yes. So the, uh, not exactly a passage from the Bible, but it's from the, the movie Cinderella. Close. But she said that they treat me as well as they know how, or as well as they can. You remember that line? It's like, do they treat me well? They treat me as well as they can. If we have that attitude, you know, be kind. <laughs> uh, it would go a long way. But I, I think that's, a, that's a, a big deal to look at that, the way Christ accepted us. And I think his point there, like Boyd was saying, he, look at the way Christ accepted you, and now look what you two are doing over meat. You know? And what you're doing over the observance of days. And... What would he be saying today? Look what you guys are doing over what? In the last class, I know we had different comments, examples of those types of things that I think this principle could be employed with that. And 
And even if you want to be a, more, a little more selective with the application of that principle from Romans 14 or accepting one another, he certainly gives the basis of that principle as loving one another. And you can't, there are no exceptions. There's no, well, that doesn't really apply in this situation, or that doesn't apply. That always applies. And I think he's using that going in, into Romans 14, 15, and saying that's the underlying principle of this. And the current situation just happens to be the eating of meats. And it says eating, drinking, and keeping of days. Other thoughts, comments, criticisms, anecdotes, uh, anything else? So going on in uh, chapter 15, he gets to verse 14, and almost like he's, he's almost a little apologetic here, isn't he? He says, uh, and concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced, I can hear Paul's, I can, I can put his voice in flesh, and I know exactly how he said this. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm convinced that you yourselves, you know, you're full of goodness, and you're, you're filled with all knowledge, and you're, you're able also to admonish one another. Um, but I've just written uh, very boldly to you on some points just to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God. I don't know exactly how he said that, but you see what he's doing there? It's like, all right, I've been laying it on you guys, but he's giving them credit. It's like, okay, I'm just reminding you, I know... I know you know these things, and if, and if, it's almost like he's saying, I, if, if I'd just given you the chance, I know you would have come to this conclusion on your own, but I just help prompt you along a little bit to get there. So, almost like he's uh, apologizing that. Verse uh, 16, uh, the grace that was given to me, in verse 15, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, that my offering to, of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Interesting again that Paul describes himself as the minister, the priest, the apostle to the Gentiles. It's, it's always curious to me in the book of Romans how much he addresses the Jews as the minister to the Gentiles. I don't know that, what that means, you know, to make a big deal out of that. But it wasn't like, yeah, I went to four years of college on Gentile conversion studies. Uh, I don't know anything about the Jews. <laughs> Basically, the gospel is the same, no matter who he's talking to. I think that's the points he makes in the first chapters of this. You want to be Jews, you want to be Gentiles. You're all in the same boat, and you all need Jesus. And that's where he gets to with that. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God. How do you minister as a priest? What did the priest, what was their role in the Old Testament? Well, they were the ministers of of God's law to the people. They were the ones that were to be teaching the people. They were be carrying out the, the uh, you know, different 
sacrifice things like that they were supposed to be here. Yes. Yeah, the uh, English Standard Bible says uh, in the priestly service of the gospel of God. And I think it's interesting, the next thing he says is that so that the offering of the Gentiles may be accepted. I think one reason that Paul so much in this letter emphasizes that he is the apostle or the priest to the Gentiles is to show the Jews in Rome these guys have done it right. This is being done according to the will of God. So they, they, they're right where they need to be. You're right where they need to be. So work together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if he's defending himself in some way as well where the Jews are like, well, wait a minute, you, you, you're the Gentile apostle, and, you know, and all that. He's, but again, he's putting it maybe in those terms, say, you guys need to be accepting these Gentiles because they followed that plan and, uh, and, are, and are doing exactly what I'm showing you from the Old Testament that was planned all along. And I think both sides of you were missing that, that here's where we're going to end up. If you were to pay attention, yes. They knew who Paul was. They knew his education. They knew what he did. He was very knowledgeable of God's word up to this point. And so I think it's kind of counting on them, taking, you know, trusting in him that he is doing this because this is what God has, you know, has instructed him to do and wants to have done and have on it all along. Um, he is to convince them to accept something that their whole nationality would not never allow, um, at least that they understood up to that point. So it was a big ask. Um, but that's why God was giving him the power to do these wonders to convince them. Um, also, uh, just everything that he's attested to, it was to let them know this is what, this is really a good thing, and trust me and trust God. Mm -hmm. I wonder. You know, this, we need in chapter 16, which we started this class with chapter 16. <laughs> but we talked about a lot of those people that were there. And some of those, I think, are known, strong Christians that were in Rome as well. You would think, well, what would you think? I think when they get this letter, and Paul's telling them these things, and I would, here, here's where my mind would go with that. It's like, you know, we, we had this issue between the Jews and the Gentiles, and they get this letter, and they're reading it, what Paul's saying, and they're like, yeah, but someone will have been telling us this all along. You know, and these other people, you know, that Paul mentions that were the faithful ones, and, and they're in Rome now. It's like, Okay, okay, yeah, you, you've been saying this. I just haven't been getting it, you know. I needed, needed another little nudge or somebody to help make that point. So I don't know how all that played out, but there was obviously some people there that Paul was very confident in already and had proven themselves in many, many ways in, in, in this list. You know, the ones with uh, all the... Saints that meet in their, house, in their house and those types of things. So it wasn't like they were 
totally ignorant of anything or, un, you know, this is the first time they'd heard the gospel. There were some there that, that I think he could have relied on to help with this. Okay, anything else to add to that? Verse 17, chapter 15. Nope, the end of verse 16. Uh, I want to mention, I wish I could expound upon this with all kinds of information, but he mentions here a couple times the Holy Spirit. Um, In verse 13, the end of 13, uh, the end of 16, and in verse 30, by the love of the Spirit. These, these things, and he uses that term several times in the same way that he uses in Christ Jesus. We're in Christ. And I don't think we have a problem, we don't have as much trouble saying that as we do in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, uh, have the unity in Christ. Have the the love of one another in Christ Jesus. But he's also saying, you have these things with the help of the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit and in the Holy Spirit. What do you... I mean, we need to give the credit, I think. I think we could probably be a little more open to that. Even if I can't tell you exactly what that does, because I don't think I can tell you exactly what it does to have Christ in me. It's like, ooh, you know? <laughs> but if we say I have the Spirit in me, then it's like, well, what do you mean by the having the Spirit in me? Well, God being the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and Jehovah being all three of those, which is often referenced that way, even in the New Testament referring to, or the Old Testament, where God refers to Jesus... This is, this is the one that is affecting my life and coming in and helping me to be what he wants me to be. How does that work exactly? I wish I could, wish I could put my finger on it because it's always so much easier if I could just, just check, it, check it off, uh, you know, and go down the list. But Paul doesn't shy away from it. He says it specifically. Yes, sir. Like the Jews of Jesus' day, our minds are so focused on the physical. On what? On the physical. Yes. So that's all we can see, that, you know, the, the physical. And then we try to put these words in that context, and it just doesn't work. But if you look at the Bible, we talk about Christ being in us, the Holy Spirit being in us, God being in us. And Christ being in God, that's being in God. You know, it's a relationship. Amen. That's what it's all about. We have a relationship with Christ, a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and a relationship with God. And that relationship works to make us better. Exactly. Yes. Yes, right. I'm going to try this on just for a conversation piece. Yeah. It makes me think of the spirit of fear. Because that would be completely contrary to the 
He talks about that one verse mentions the power of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. So something there, obviously. Yes. I, I think of sometimes when I'm talking to my kids, my mother comes out of my mouth, and I'm like, what just happened? But it's, it's that relationship of what was saying. I value the advice that my mom gave me so much that I put it in my heart that it's come out of my mouth without. Closer we are to God, whether it's the scripture talking about it, singing about it, meditating on it, the more it's going to come out of me. It's it's there because I'm chasing after it, and I have that relationship with it. The closer I am, the more it's going to come out. Right. Yeah. It's going to be more and more and more visible. Let's go to Brad and then uh, Brenda. Yeah, I keep bringing this verse up, but Ezekiel 36. Um, <clears throat> he's going to take our heart out, uh, our heart zone out, give us a heart of flesh, and put a new spirit in us. Um, he, he's, in verse 20, he says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Um, and it just, so the, the other analogy is like, if that's God's spirit, like, um, sometimes I wish that my kids could have my spirit in them to do something. Like, man, if if they would just do this the way I would do it, then that would work out really well. Um, and I think God thinks that as well. Like, he's giving us his spirit, like, his mind, his desires, his goals, his Demeanor is what he's putting into our heart as we fill it with his word and uh, meditate on it. And then, so if you try to apply that to this verse, so um, verse 13 is, May the God hope fill you with joy and peace so that you'll overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How much hope do we have if we have the mind of God? Or how much hope does God have? <laughs> right? Yes. If we knew what God knew, how hopeful would we be? We would have no fear. Right. We have no doubt at all. We would we would know, right? Mm-hmm. So if God's by, by His Spirit, if we're having His mind, then we have all hope. And then you give that to the Gentiles. Whoa! Even Gentiles 
have this a, a, a portion of God's mind and desire and uh, and heart so that they want to do what he tells them to do. Right. And imagine how sanctifying that would be. And that's verse 17. Very good. Thank you for that. They, these comments are just <coughs> very helpful. When I'm most aware of the Spirit is when I'm attempting to pray for something that is heavy on my heart. I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. Um, in things, I feel it. And I know what to pray for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's times that I think we all get to that. Point. Hopefully, it's like, all right, I'm inadequate. <laughs> I'm not sure what, you know, and that's where, that's where, that's where he's telling us, even back in 1470, with righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, those things are coming. God's, God's trying to give it to you, like he said, and Paul's saying, be like God, be like the Spirit, be like Christ. And then in this particular instance, he's like, and dealing with this problem, be like God. Get the Holy Spirit in you and then look at the other person and how does that look? How did Christ look at you? Try that. And I will, I will say that there's obviously things that we can't overlook, right? I mean, I can't overlook if somebody says, well, I don't think Jesus was a sinner. I can't overlook the way somebody becomes a Christian or something like that. I can't overlook those. But you know what? I can look at that person with the love and with the spirit and with all these other things and probably get a lot farther in that discussion with that attitude than I would with Maybe some of the attitudes that I've had. You need to get it right. You need to straighten up. Here's the way it is. Even if we have those disagreements, starting from this starting point gets you a lot, lot closer and a lot better chance of helping one another to get to Christ. Other thoughts about the Spirit and how that's helpful? Obviously, Paul thought it was important. He mentioned it several times in this. And not only in this, but in other books and other letters that he's here. Yes.
is given to validate that it's from God for the audience. And if we take that approach, I'm not going to say charismatic approach, but this looking for, looking for, and Brad keeps going back to inside, inside the interrupting. And like to take it out of context would be, I only see when it's this other thing, it's inside, and you can't even take credit for it. Right. Some of the changes that I, that I, I was going to say that I've had to make weren't mine to make. The way you see people differ. What they're struggling with in Romans would also be racial, given the nationality type thing. And we can still struggle with that. It's applicable today. It changes how you see the believer and, and the non-believer. And that that happened pretty quickly with, without um, anyone else around you helping. That is odd, because that, that's its own witness. Mm -hmm. So just because I can't see the tongues of fire coming down... On people, and then obviously there's nothing going on there. So. Good, good comments. Thank you so much for those things. All right, in verse uh, 17 of 15, therefore in Christ Jesus I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. In the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit. So that from Jerusalem, round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. So Paul's pointing out what his goal has been in his preaching. He's going to places that don't have churches. That's kind of his goal, is going and preaching all those areas. So this letter to Rome, he's never been to Rome. There's already a church in Rome. It's a little different, but he's wanting to come to them. We'll get to it in a second. I'm gonna go ahead and spoil it. He's wanting to come to them as he's going to Spain. He's like, yeah, I want to come by and see you and spend some time with you and be encouraged and maybe helped along. I don't know what that means. Is that financial? Is that maybe we can pray together? Whatever it may be, uh, might might be. He says, "Hey, I'll give you an opportunity if you want to help me get to Spain. That'd be wonderful." Um, and I don't think Paul was saying, "I'm going to stop by. I'm going to spend the night because I got to get up early the next morning, and head off to Spain." He was wanting to come and spend some time with them. And it's what he's saying in verse 22, For this reason I have often been hindered from coming to you. What reason was that? <laughs> well, he's been going round in circles, well, roundabout, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, preaching in all these places that don't have churches, where he hasn't been named. Verse 23, he says, But now, with no further place for me in these regions, which kind of indicates... And I've been to about every place around here, and now I'm going to go even farther west, all the way to Spain, because I don't think anybody's been there yet. And I want to take, take this gospel everywhere possible. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, 
For I hope to see you in passing and be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now, right now, I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they were indebted to them. He's talking about Gentiles, remember? For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on, I will go on by way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So Paul's been preaching all around. Interesting, he says, starting in Jerusalem. Did Paul start in Jerusalem? Maybe he's just talking generically. You know, the, the church first started in Jerusalem. Because Paul didn't exactly start there, but that's kind of the, where it went from and spread out from that. And I like the way it's like, it's kind of a roundabout way. <laughs> you know, what uh, a direct line going out. And as you see some of Paul's travels, that, that certainly fits with that, didn't it? It was uh, winding around all these different places. But he was on his way to Jerusalem, and what was the purpose of that trip? What was he doing? He was taking the money that he collected from the others, and again, you say something else that? The first trip, he, when he came out of Arabia, he went to meet and met there with the apostles Peter and John. Okay, yeah, so on his trips that he's going through, and this was written during that Second turn, uh, but he had made those shots and collecting the money. Paul himself, though, didn't carry the money. What did it appear that they did each time he would go to the, state, the church or the group and say, all right, you got money, you want to send back to Jerusalem? Pick somebody <laughs> and tuck it away in there. He sold it into the hem of a garment or something to hide it. And I'll go with them if you want me to. But he wasn't going to, you know, give any opportunity uh, you know, to be accused of anything. So you send somebody to carry that, and we'll take that back to Jerusalem, and I'll go with you, and we'll have a whole crowd of people when we get there, whoever it is, and deliver that for the saints back in Jerusalem. What about this indebtedness? Yes. to make that connection. 
right? And we're not supposed to like divide these concepts down the middle, if you will, right? And so as you think about how we support and how people give here, I mean, it's a very, very close relationship between those two concepts. Yeah, so like in James, I mean, what does that look like? What does that love look like? Be warmed and filled. <laughs> no, it looks like me pulling out my wallet, doesn't it? And I think that's what he's talking about here. There's, there is a connection there. Very good, good point. So he was planning to come to them. Um, we know he, well, I guess history outside the Bible would say that Paul did eventually make it to Spain. Uh, he obviously did make it to Rome, but it wasn't exactly the way he was expecting. Uh, but he got there, he got, and it was a free trip. Can you get any better than that? He didn't even have to pay for it. Uh, <laughs> so he gets to Rome uh, in chains. And then we, like I said, from other historical evidence that he did later on, once he got released, make it over to, to Spain. So hopefully that was the case. Verse 30, now I urge you, brethren, by the Lord... Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So chapter 16, we looked at, as I've said many times, the first class, went through with all these people because that helped set the stage for who he was writing to and the, and the type of people that were in Rome. Lots of names there, a lot of things as you go through, different points you could make there. Um, maybe a few things. I'll, I'll just mention things that I don't want to get into you know, discussion or do we have the time, but looking at like verse 7, greet, uh, whatever that guy's name is, and... Junius, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles. I thought there were only 12. Is that a generic term? Is that an apostle in the same way? Is it like the word disciple or like the word deacon, a servant? Uh, those that were used or were. There's two or three other passages in the New Testament talk about apostles naming people that were not part of the 12 as apostles. So I don't know exactly how that looks, just something to think about. You know, Paul mentions it here, not as he's making a big deal out of it, but just in passing, it's like, they were outstanding, you know, among the apostles. Could be saying all of us apostles thought they were outstanding, but that doesn't quite fit the, the tenor of that. Um, you get down to the end of that in verse 15, verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Two things there. That was a cultural type thing. I think even in like South America, they still do that. Uh, like kissing the air on each side of your face or something, you know, touching cheeks or whatever. Greeting. We tend to shake hands, you know. But it's like greet somebody with a, with a gesture to indicate that you love it. <laughs> right? So that would fit with that. Interesting verse. All the churches of Christ greet you. 
one of the very few passages in the New Testament that restricts to Christ that has become our standard. Church to Christ. You know? There's, there's many other terms used for it, but we tend to shy away from those or almost recoil at the sound of other names that are used for the group of saints of God or whatever it may be. Maybe that's a cultural thing too. Obviously, there's certain images or things that come to mind when we think about that. Again, just some things to think about throughout that list. Um, so I'll skip all those names and... I won't ask for volunteers to read them either, so we're gonna, <laughs> we'll go right through. Verse 17, I urge you to keep an eye on those who cause dissension and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached you all, therefore I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The report of your obedience. Was there a report? Was there a report card that went out? The report of your obedience. Interesting way to word that after just, can I say, berating them for having the division. <laughs> But the report back in chapter 1 and verse 8 first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world that's the report man have you heard about this Christians in Rome they were, they were, their faith is great. And the report of that faith is going everywhere. And it's Paul saying, hey, look at the Romans. They figured it out. They've got it all figured out. They're perfect. No, because he obviously turns right around and says, hey, a uh, couple issues, Jews, you might want to think about these things, Gentiles, this, and maybe the two of you ought to, you work together just a little bit more. So how does that fit with faith? There were problems there. But he's commending them for their faith. What's the faith in? Christ Jesus, both groups. They were just having trouble getting along and accepting that the other group could have that faith in Christ Jesus. So there was a unity in Christ. But he said, I want this to be one voice. Glorifying God. Work together on that. You've already got the faith. So you're both looking up there. Now let's bring the bottom end of that triangle a little closer together and do this as one. For the report of your obedience has reached you all, therefore I am rejoicing over you. I'm in 19. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent and what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. And he goes on and lists several other names here. So there's Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman. 
I don't know if it's kinsmen in here, he mentions that several times, whether actual relatives or Jews, kinsmen, could be either way. And then the writer, the actual, what we call him, the scribe, uh, Tertius, verse 22, he's, Paul's like, hey, if you want to stick your own name, greeting in there, go ahead, and, go ahead and put that in there. You know, he's like, oh, hi, <laughs> I'm the one actually writing this. Um, mentions Gaius, his host, that was where he was staying, I think, in Corinth when he was writing this. Uh, Rastus, uh, the city treasurer, and some other names. Verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now to him, and so then we get to the end of the book, or the end of the letter, and he's summing it up. Now to him, who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scripture of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. He said all those things throughout the letter and repeating that, bringing everybody together for the glory of God, the one that has caused all these things to happen. And that's where he ends it. So that's where we will end. Thank you very much for your participation.